Hey everybody, I'm Jason, your host of Let Freedom Reign, an equine industry leading podcast that talks to folks from all different walks of life who share their testimony of adversities and perseverance and how the horse has helped them through their journey. Stay tuned. We're going to have a great time. Come along for the ride. Welcome everybody to another episode here at Let Freedom Reign podcast. Our guest this week is Melissa Cobb. Melissa Cobb owns Coco County Harmony Horse Training in California. Now, Melissa and I have been friends for a few years now, and we first got introduced early on in my horse journey in pursuing horsemanship, and she has established an amazing program in the greater Bay Area. Now, this episode might be one of the more emotional episodes that we've recorded. She has an absolutely incredible story, and I will obviously let her go into the details here in the podcast episode. There's a tremendous amount of valuable information that comes from this episode. Now, should you find the content of this episode valuable, please share it with a friend. Additionally, your five-star ratings and reviews on the podcast platform of your choice would mean the world to us. You can find us on both Facebook and Instagram at Let Freedom Reign Podcast. I hate to keep you all waiting any longer. Here is Melissa Cobb. Melissa, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? Good, good, good. I want to take a a moment at the beginning of the show to thank you for making time for everybody here at Let Freedom Reign. Everybody's got a real busy schedule, and and uh, we appreciate you taking some time out of your day to share your story and, and share your testimony. Absolutely, and thank you for having me on the show. No problem. So what's new for you? What, what's been going on the last couple of weeks? Oh, you know, I'm still working on all these uh, horses that I have in training, and that and that's a daily, so that's not so much new news, but still exciting for me having my pictures for te- um, professionally taken tomorrow. That's, I think, the latest news. And and uh, everything else is kind of steady eddy. Good, good, good. What project horses do you have in the barn right now? Oh, I got a three-year-old stallion that's been my my funnest case. He was, uh, he's been in training with me for about four months, maybe just over four months now. And he wasn't halter broke when I started him. He was stuck in pretty much a box stall inside of a barn. So he was isolated, uh, unhandled, and fed, fed all alfalfa on top of it. So he was, he was crazy boy in the beginning, but now four months later, he's got all his manners. He's partnered up with me really, really well. We've been doing uh, saddle work for the last ooh, maybe six weeks now. He's getting really good with his walk and trot and flexion and focus and all that good stuff, getting his manners around the mares and just now getting the owner involved and kind of taking that step by step. So it's done nice and uh, nice and slow for the horse's sake. That's good. That's good. And and in your experience, obviously, uh, an isolated overfed horse is probably going to be a handful, but we've had a few previous conversations. Um, What's your approach to to stallions versus other other, you know, geldings or mares or, or things of that sort? Because I know they're kind of unique circumstances. Yeah, you know, they are. Um, and I can say my my approach for every horse is really the same in the regard that I try and keep it very unique to the personality of the horse. Each horse has their own story, just like each person has their own story. And some of them are more claustrophobic. Some of them are more frightened and they might be more aggressive or more uh, more submissive. Stallions in general, 
they're they're usually more of the bodyguard of the herd as far as their natural instincts. So they can be more temperamental. So you don't want to be overly pushy. You really want to have your boundaries and have a good respect level. Take it slow. Make sure they understand before you move on to the next the next lesson you're trying to teach them. Don't push them too fast. That's the number one thing I found that will uh, set them off in a negative pace. Just just keep your keep your patience and keep your consistency. That's awesome. And the last thing you want to do is be in a fight with a stallion. That's for darn sure. And any of them really, but yeah. Good stuff. So you got any big plans or anything coming up for the remainder of the year or just uh, working on horses? You know, the remainder of the year, we're just kind of working on horses. I got some students that are making really good progress right now. One just ended up getting a horse for lease. That's kind of a project horse for a little bit for her. He had um, a bad trainer experience. So he's untrusting, a little aggressive on the ground. In, in fact, we we had him turned out and we went to bring him back in. We forgot to put his, take his boots off. So went to halter him back up and just walk up like a normal horse and walking up like a normal horse to him was very threatening. So he was rearing up and, and really going after her. Oh, geez. Yeah. So this is, this is kind of a fun little project for us. We're learning new, she, I should say she's learning new approaches. I gave her some homework with the join up work and he's coming around day by day, just 50% increase every single day. And he's only been there maybe a week. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. So so big things with that and, and other students that are getting up uh, into new show avenues and things like that. That's good. And it definitely always helps to have, you know, three, four, five different ways to, to tackle the same problem or solve the same issue. Because like you said, right, not every horse's perception is the same. So what might work with one ain't going to work with another. So what a valuable experience for your students to learn. Yeah. Yeah, they're loving it. Why don't you share with folks a little bit about, you know, who you are and, and how you got started in horses and, and we'll progress to where we are today. A little bit about me. I was born into a family, sister two years older, brother two years younger. I actually didn't get into horses until I was 11 years old. And only three years after that did I get into actually horse training. It became a passion really, really, really quickly. And then from there, I developed a love for psychology and I blended my psychology with my horse training. And that's been just a wonderful journey. Absolute wonderful journey. Yeah, I was going to say for me, that's been my biggest growth and development and my biggest pursuit in horsemanship is uh, really trying to get between their ears, right? And mm-hmm. and train on their accord rather than applying, I would say, human methods or human ideology to training. Mm-hmm. It's incredible how intuitive and intelligent these animals are when, you're, when you, as a human being, are able to get on their level. Absolutely. Absolutely. When I was a, a young trainer, I really followed John Lyons. And following John Lyons and the natural horsemanship, was great. I learned a lot of techniques for how to move them forward, how to move them back, how to uh, get them in trailers, how to desensitize them, all of that stuff. But it always kind of, to me, it always felt, how do I say, almost a little shallow, meaning it didn't feel like there was enough depth of the connection between me and the horse. 
and when I got into psychology and I got into working with a lot of mustangs and really understanding how to communicate with the animal and feel like I'm actually talking with them in their language, that's when I felt like everything really opened up and I got the, the depth that I was looking for with the connection with the horses. That's impressive. And, and let's talk a little bit about it because uh, Mustangs versus horses, right? Because it's, although it's the same or similar animal, right? There's, there's two different approaches. Mustangs are a lot more intuitive and a lot stronger survival instinct than your, we'll say generally bred quarter horse, you know, or generally bred sport horse. So in your experience, what is, what have you seen as a difference between those two? You know, when I first um, handled my first Mustang, I really wasn't sure what to expect because I have worked with so many off-the-track thoroughbreds and Arabs and Appies and quarter horses and all these other breeds. And they're all, uh, respectfully, they're all a little dull. They're not quite as sharp as the Mustangs. So when I first approached a Mustang, I approached him slow, but I made sure I didn't push my boundaries. And I really watched everything that I did, and I watched the response out of the horse. And what I noticed is they watch every single muscle in your body because your body is their language. What moves and how it moves and how you tense and how big you look and your energy level and all of that stuff is, is how you're using your words when you're talking to a human, your tone of voice and how loud you're speaking and that kind of thing. So they're very, very, very in tune to watching everything about your body. And if you make an approach you're unaware of, let's say you approach a horse and maybe you're feeling a little off because you had an argument with a spouse or whatnot, and you approach the horse and you kind of have that, that negative energy vibe, that horse is going to pick up on that immediately. And they're going to be like, whoa, dude, don't come near me. What's wrong with you? Yeah. Versus a domesticated horse, you come up to them and they're like, hug, pet me, <laughs> love me. True. We're cool. They have no idea what you're feeling. Yeah, feed me and leave me alone. Right, right, right. So biggest difference I would I would say between Mustang and a domesticated horse is how alert they are, how fast their reactions are. You don't really have time to make a mistake or not pay attention or not be patient for that regard. You have to be calm and you have to be grounded and you have to be clear. Yeah, that's the biggest thing, right, is the consistency in conveying mm -hmm. the message, right? That's where... I think most people fall short is because oftentimes, and I'm just as guilty as the next person, we are not as in tune with our own emotions, right? Mm -hmm. As that horse, that horse has a better read on us than we have on ourselves. And, and oftentimes frustration that we ball up and hold on to gets pushed through that horse, you know, pushed through the saddle. And uh, mm -hmm. many times we're not even aware of it. And, and we'll blame the, the poor day on the horse when in fact, we're the one, you know, we're the catalyst of all of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you got your start about 14 years old, you said. I was going to say, take us through the progression of, I mean, your, your first experiences at 14 years old and now, now becoming a professional trainer. Okay. Well, um, it, and actually, let me take a step back because my story, um, my story 
my mental story for me in the process of horses actually started long before I ever got into horses. So my story actually begins when I was about four years old. We got in, me and my mother and my sister, I'm sorry, me and my mother and my brother, how could I forget that? We're in a, we're in a tragic car accident where the car had flipped 15 times. Oh my Lord. And yeah, my mother had broken her neck in the time of, and after only a few days uh, in the emergency room, my brother had went to heaven. So my story actually begins with that incident because God. like you said, I didn't get into, I didn't get into training till I was 14, but I actually didn't even get into horses till I was 11. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as I grew up, I had, I think like most people do, you have your childhood best friend you spend all your time with. So me and my friend, we would always go around every summer and we would do odd jobs together. We would sweep people's porches and rake leaves and that kind of thing just for a little bit of summer money. And then uh, one day my mom had mentioned that the neighbor across the street was into horses. He had horses and he, she had mentioned that he was super, super nice and we should go over there and ask him if we could do anything with the horses because I was horse crazy, but I had never actually been up close, touched a horse beyond, hi, pretty thing, yeah. on the other side of the fence, yeah, exactly. walking down the street. I had never, I'd never had the opportunity. So my mom was a house cleaner. So she kind of knew a lot of people in the neighborhood. So she was really comfortable with me going over there by myself, even being a kid. So one day, me and my friend were playing in the yard, and, and I see my neighbor across the street, and I I didn't even think. I ran across the street. Hi, hi, hi. I'm so-and-so. Is it okay if I play with your horses? And of course, my friend's at my side. And this generous man, it, it really makes me want to cry, thinking back on just his level of generosity and openness to these two young kids that he didn't know at all. He said yes without hesitation, took us in the back of the barn, introduced us to his four horses. He had uh, a miniature mare, a miniature stallion, a three three or four-year-old Peruvian mare, and I think I think uh, the quarter horse gelding was about 10 or 12, something like that. He showed us where all their stuff was. He showed us what they ate. He gave us full permission to come over whenever we wanted. So like any horse crazy kid, (laughs) I was literally going over there before school and feeding this man's horses myself. Oh, that's awesome. And every day, me and my friend, we'd go over there, we'd clean the stalls. I remember... Uh, winter, we would lock them because they were in a big pasture with some stalls that were in the front that they could go into as they please. We would lock them in those front stalls and they'd have those huge uh, 100-gallon Rubbermaid tubs. And we would trudge in our mud boots with those big pink gallon buckets going from the water in the pasture in the mud to fill up the waters in their stalls. That's incredible. It, it was it was it was a fun time. It was a fun time. So after after about a year, uh, my dad, who was in construction, actually rebuilt the hay barn at what was called Creekside Farms. 
on Marsh Creek Road in Brentwood. And from rebuilding the hay barn, he was able to uh, barter a year's worth of lessons for me. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's a heck of a deal. Yeah, it was awesome. So at 11 years old, the first time I sat on a horse was unsupervised by any adult. It was with my friend who had horse experience when she was a kid, but I had never seen her with horses. So I had no idea how, how experienced she was. Yeah, and how much experience can an 11-year-old child have? Right. So I get on the horse and I immediately grabbed the horn and, and clenched my everything you shouldn't do. Grab the horn and clench your feet and, and lean forward in the fetal position. I started screaming, actually. And here we go. <laughs> oh, oh, he's too big. He's going to kill me. I want it. I want it off with every bean in my body. I want it off that horse. <laughs> and my friend didn't let me. Thank God. Bless her heart. She didn't let me. So from there, I just, I rode almost every day. Every day I could, I got on and I rode. And we did some crazy kid stuff like I think the majority of us has. When I took my lessons, I took jumping lessons and I acquired a lot of experience with off the track thoroughbreds and naughty ponies and things like that. My first trainer had put me on some very gentle horses in the beginning. And I guess she saw a lot of potential in me because it didn't take her very long before she started pushing me on some horses that were well beyond my experience level. But uh, my trainer had a very loud voice and she liked to yell at me. (laughs) So it actually gave me a huge increase in confidence because my personality, I don't really like to get yelled at. It shuts me down just a little bit, but being on horses that are bucking and being naughty and trying to run off with me, I was a little bit more afraid of my trainer yelling at me than I was hitting the dirt. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. We'll stay in the saddle then, right? Absolutely. So she really gave me that, that extra kick in the pants to be able to ride some some crap so to speak yeah. <laughs> and and at the same time really showed me some valuable lessons as far as uh as being an instructor myself currently you know how how i like to treat my students and things like that sometimes you can learn good and bad things from from people but i guess that's not really a negative it's not right it's always an opportunity to grow yeah yeah absolutely so um After a couple of years of being with her, when I was 14 years old, I got the opportunity to start my very first horse. She was a three-year-old quarter pony mare, a little bay mare. I remember her name was April. She was such a little sassy thing. She was born in a pasture and wasn't touched until this lady had bought her when she was three years old. Because when she was born, the mother was extremely aggressive and wouldn't let anybody in the pasture near her. So she, my first horse I had started was and wasn't handled, wasn't halter broke, nothing. Nice, clean slate. It took me only about, oh, about six months, six to eight months, I think, with that horse. Uh, and the owner of that horse really helped me in my journey a lot because of course it was my first horse I ever started. You know, I had a lot of confidence in myself as far as riding, uh, riding 
horses that had some behavioral problems and things like that. I had a decent amount of experience with at that time. But of course, I never had started one myself. So this lady is a huge heart. I love her to death. Still very good friends with her even today. And that was that was so many years ago. In exchange for working with her mayor, she bought me the full John Lyon certified training manual, tons of videos, really helped me throughout the process with the horse and took me on. I can't even count how many trail rides. It was every weekend, I swear. She'd pick me up 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning. We'd go to go to the food max or whatever, get our lunch, and we'd be out in the saddle for four, five, six hours in one day and come back. And, you know, again, at that time, I had ridden some horses, you know, before I did my English work just out on the farm. Then I rode English in an arena. So I was mostly used to fences around me. So when she took me on some of these rides, some of them were some of them were so scary. I remember getting off the horse. One particular ride, I remember getting off the horse. And this is even, I think it was the horse that I started even. I got off of her and let her go down this hill by herself following my two friends because it was so steep That's and crazy. it was sheer rock. And it scared the tar out of me, the thought of actually falling down that with a horse. Yeah, I'm going for the ride. Bless this horse. She just followed along like a little trooper, and I was right behind her tail. That's awesome. But these trail rides, you know, she wasn't just putting me on a horse and saying, follow me around. She was really challenging me, and she was challenging me in a way that she was challenging my trust with my horse, whatever horse I was on. The number one thing I could always remember her saying is, let your horse have their head, let them find their footing, you need to trust your horse. And obviously that day I did not trust my horse, but I should have because watching her go down, she had no problem. (laughs) I probably had more problem trying to follow her. (laughs) But once again, right, it's the human's intervention of that, you know, or the the human's apprehension that was causing causing the issues. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, so yeah, like I said, I, I got her done in, I don't quite remember, it was about six to eight months from halter breaking to trail riding and Jim Connor riding. And I even did a lot of, a lot of um, uh, blindfolded work with her. And I, when I started training in the beginning, I started all of my horses and halters. Absolutely. Every single one of them got started in halters. So at the end of finishing her, I took her to a, a Gymkhana and we were, I don't remember what the, what the event was called, but we had to go around the barrels and grab, grab the stake that had the flag on it, run around the next one, like barrel racing, mm-hmm. but you're grabbing a stake and you're, then you're sticking it into the next sand pit that's on the next barrel and grabbing that one instead and so on and so forth. So when I grabbed the last stick with the flag, I grabbed the rein for the rundown, and the whole flag covered this mare's face. She was 100% blindfolded, and it was, it really stuck out in my mind because everyone was cheering so loud. And all, all I could think of was, what is the big deal? It's a little red horse running down to the finish That's line. funny. That's great. And I looked down, and I went, 
Oh, oh, she can't see. That explains it. I get it. <laughs> so, so that was that was really that was that was really powerful for me. From there, I had started working with a lot of Mustangs. You know, I got the opportunity. You know, from working with one horse, someone watches me. And then they hired me to work with another one on a different facility and so on and so forth. So I ended up uh, only, I think, maybe a year or two after that. It really wasn't that long, maybe 17 years old. I um, started getting into working with Mustangs. I worked with one, actually two, from this lady at Tule Lane Ranch, actually, in Knightson. And and she had given my number to this other guy who had a had three Mustangs, I believe at the time, and then so on and so forth. So it ended up becoming this chain link where I would get strangers calling me saying that they had bought a Mustang from a BLM auction, a wild horse for $150, and they were expecting it to be like a horse. A domesticated horse, yeah. Absolutely. It has four feet and a tail. Yeah. It's grass. (laughs) It sounds like a horse. Yeah, and they couldn't understand why a year later they still couldn't even give an animal a carrot. Yeah. So I would get these people calling me saying, I've heard that you take on these animals and you kind of rehab them and then you replace them into homes. Would you like to come and just have my animal? (laughs) So I would go and I would pick them up and I would spend hours and hours and hours working with them, watching them really learning and perfecting horsemanship and horse communication and figuring out how to do it right by, I kind of think of it like how to do it right by the ones that started it all. You know, Mustangs in my head, they're, they're the originators. They're the wild ones. You can learn more from them and take it and use it on these domesticated horses than and you can learn from a domesticated horse because domesticated horses, they just ignore so much. They don't show you yourself, I guess, as much it's an as interesting perspective. Can. Yeah. The whole, the whole reflection. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so working with them, I feel that truly gave me my love for horsemanship. I've dabbled in a bunch of different disciplines ranging from Barrel racing, jumping, western dressage, regular dressage, sorting, team pinning, endurance, a bunch of bunch of different things. The show world never really and still really doesn't uh, spark much interest to me, though, because it feels like everybody's trying to put these animals in a box. They have to perform a certain way and look a certain way to get a certain score, which I've never really... It's kind of never really sat great with me. And this is nothing against show riders because I think going in and competing and doing the best that you can and having other people tell you how well your horse is doing in your progress report, I think that's wonderful. There's some great things to it. But for myself as a trainer, I've always really been more fascinated by the personal growth of the horse. And how much they can mature mentally and they can heal mentally from mistakes, uh, tragic mistakes sometimes that people do unaware, you know, they're unaware of it. Yeah, they're quite forgiving animal. That's for darn sure. Oh my gosh. It, it just, it astounds me. It really does. 
So to me, you know, the art of the biomechanics of the riding between the horse's body and the human's body is, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's so intriguing to me because again, your, your, your language with your horse is your body language. So sitting on him, it's still your body language. So you guys have to work together. So, um, adding the biomechanics of each partner along with the horsemanship and the mentality and the psychological level is really where I like to take my lessons with all of my horses and even my human students. I teach each person the same as I would teach a horse. And I've noticed that's been really impactful, you know, teaching them the same little increment style and, and the same uh, level that I would teach a horse how to be ridden. You start at this level, then you move up to the next, and then you move up to the next, and you do kind of a layering system. And, and that seems to really concrete the communication between the horse and the rider. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head right there because when you talk about so many variables in, in the horse and then you think of all the variables in a human being, and then the combinations between those two. I mean, there's a lot of factors that go into correct writing and, and correct communication. There's so many factors that at some point it seems darn right overwhelming and unattainable, but being able to break down the big picture into small attainable goals, that's where the growth really takes place. And, and you keep people engaged, you keep the horses engaged, um, you're able to build a little success between the rider and the and the horse, and and mm-hmm. both entities start to gain a little confidence. And before you know it, you know you tackle one project or one challenge, and and achieve your goal, and then move on to the next and the next. And the the bigger picture starts to become not such an overwhelming problem. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, and and what's interesting is the the stallion that I had mentioned earlier that I work with. There's been days when, you know, maybe I come out and I'm a little tired and my energy is a little different than what it might normally be. I can see that through a reflection in how he treats me automatically. So it kind of puts me in check, you know, when I come in and and I approach him and if I approach him with a kind of a lower energy and uh, let's just get this done or something like that, then he's a little bit more aggressive, a little more assertive with me. So yeah, the the communication and the clarity and the I don't know what the right word is that I'm looking for, but really that that level of trust and respect between both horse and rider is very very key. Well I think it's huge because you're dealing with a hurt animal, right? And mm-hmm. and in the wild it's their job to get the top of the pecking order, right? For for mm-hmm. survival of the herd. Only mm-hmm. the strongest are going to get a chance to breed and, and the you know, the strongest will fall out and, and hopefully grow that herd. So if you as a human being aren't demonstrating that leadership or that instilling that trust in the horse, then they basically just see you as a weak weaker link in the herd, you know? Absolutely. And that's where you guys will start to butt heads or or a lot of the issues take place is because the horse is doing what it's naturally hardwired to do, right? And it's get to the right. top of that chain as fast as they can within any given herd system. And and I think that's the greatest gift from the horse is that they have an ability to show us how to fix ourselves. 
you know, and that's what I found in my experience in working with my horse is that just like you described, there'll be some days where your personality is just kind of flat, right? Or you're tired uh-huh. or you're exhausted or you're frustrated or maybe it's not to the point where you feel the frustration, right? But it's kind of in the back of your mind or it's been weighing on you for a while and you get out there and you start to work a little bit. And early on, I would just get frustrated because things weren't working. Mm-hmm. But as you start to grow and develop your horsemanship and your awareness, you start to wonder why. Why aren't things working? Mm-hmm. And then the momentum starts to swing. Well, they're not working because I'm not right. And if I'm not right, I can't expect him to be right. Well, in trying to make the horse better, the unintended benefit is is me improving myself. It's opened up a whole new world of awareness. It's opened up a whole new world of accountability. And it's opened up a whole new world of discipline, you know, as far as how I approach every day, let alone working with horses, you know, just in my, in my daily life, a lot of that stuff is very applicable and beneficial. Yeah, it's incredible what they teach us. Yeah, absolutely. It really is, even unknowing. Yeah, we just got to be the ones to pay attention to it. Yep. That's the hardest part, right? I mean, I think back now, I have a million mo- miles to travel in my journey, and I, I will always have a million miles to travel in my journey because... As I take on one goal and and achieve it, I'm always looking for the next. I don't think you're ever great at horsemanship uh, just because there's so much that goes into it. However, I mean, I think back on all the missed opportunities because I wasn't paying attention or I didn't have that awareness or self-reflection or honesty with myself. That's really what it comes down to. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the lessons are tough to learn, right? That you're the issue and you're the problem and, and you need to fix stuff, but... I mean, truly what a blessing because without the horse, you might hold on to those grudges or those issues or those dark thoughts or depression or whatever it may be, you know, for years and years and years. And and it's funny, I was talking with uh, Jeremy Harrell is a previous guest of ours who runs a veterans club out in Kentucky. And we we're talking about introducing different vets who have post-traumatic stress issues or TBI mm-hmm. issues, you know, as a result of, of their combat deployments or military service. And he talked about a lot of times when he introduces vets to horses, he just sends them out in the round pen with the horse and just tells these vets, hey, man, go talk to the horse. And obviously, the vets look at him cross-eyed at first, right? Because why, why am I going to talk to a horse? Horses don't speak English, right? They don't speak the same language as us. But mm-hmm. what's amazing is that they're great listeners because, you know, when you're talking about your deepest, darkest secrets or things that might bother you or things that have been eaten at your soul that you don't want to share with people because... When you share it with people, you get judged, right? You get judged and you're much more vulnerable. Yeah. But when you go out there with that horse and just the simple fact of this human being verbalizing an issue or a problem, it's enough to kind of lift a little weight off of their chest. They can breathe a little bit. And now we start looking for growth, right? Now we start looking for recovery. It's just, it seems like such a silly, simple task, yet it's so profound in people's recovery. It, it is. It absolutely is. You know, and it's interesting that you said that because that that accident that I was talking about earlier, you know, I was only four years old when that happened. And I remember it vividly. But I remember I remember how impactful that was in my life. And I never realized, maybe even until after I really started working with horses that how how much it changed me, you know, looking back, um, how much the horses had helped me through that incident that had happened so many years prior to even being on my first horse. You know, it, 
when I was in that accident, it was just the three of us. And I was the only one that walked away seemingly, you know, unharmed, at least physically. Yeah, as I say, you didn't have physical injuries. Right. So, you know, prior to the accident, I was, at least from what I was told, I don't remember this part, but I was told by my parents that I was, you know, pretty lively and young girl and very active imagination and just typical young, young kid Mm -hmm. and had a really, really, really strong connection with my brother. Directly following that accident, I remember vividly, like it, like it happened yesterday. I remember sitting in front of the TV with my head down. I wouldn't talk to anybody and I would just sit there and I would cut newspaper into the tiniest little pieces. I don't know why. <laughs> Seems odd, kind of a little, ha- I guess a little, little neurotic a habit that had, had followed. Um, but that's kind of how I, how I dealt with it. I was going to say, it's your body just trying to get rid of stress. Right. You know, get so, rid of trauma. Right. So I, you know, I, I became very secluded and depressed. And number one thing I could always remember myself thinking was why, you know, when you hear that so often, people ask, why did it happen to our family? Why did he have to die? That kind of thing. And I remember a time that I sat on my knees and I was praying and I was praying hard and loud. And I remember getting angry and, you know, kind of yelling at God and and basically doing the typical, you know, if you exist, you'll bring him back. If you don't, then you don't exist. And if you do exist and you took him away from me, then I don't want to know you anyway. (laughs) Yeah. Typical ignorant (laughs) thought process. It's out of anger. It, it was out of anger and it was it was out of uh, sadness and it was out of confusion. It was out of a lot of... And you're lot so of, young, dark. you know, like how do you... That's a lot for any human being to take on, let alone, you know, a four-year-old, six-year-old, ten-year-old, you know, as you're going through your, your recovery in it. Right. So I think, I think that at that time, I think I was about six years old and I basically lost faith. I just stopped thinking about God and just started thinking about, well, this just sucks. (laughs) And I, and I got more and more depressed because of it. You know, the, the why question always, always, always hovered in my head. How come I'm the only one that walked away without having something really tragic physically, obviously really tragic happen. And that kind of, it gave me a guilty feeling, you know, and and in the accident, the portion that I can remember, my brother, bless his heart, little boy, had just learned how to undo a seatbelt. So I was putting his seatbelt back on, and I was asked to turn around rather quickly. Um, I don't know if there was a deer in the road or whatnot, but my mom had obviously seen something dangerous, wanted me to get my own seatbelt back on. So when I did, it was directly following that the car had flipped 15 times. That's absolutely and he had taken incredible. Seat, yeah, he had taken his seatbelt off right before it started flipping again. So that was kind of, a, you know, a, a sharp detail that, you know, I was the one that was trying to help him. Mm-hmm. And I, I couldn't achieve that. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's tough. It's tough. I feel for you, you know, just in, in hearing you describe it. I couldn't imagine it. 
Yeah, that was hard. So, so the question, you know, the questions always lingered mostly because of that. Um, the questions and the lack of talking about it really too, it led to a lot of insecurities, low self-esteem, which at the time kept me very shut in, depressed, unmotivated in any kind of social group. I remember in school, I was, you know, one of the kids that nobody really knew. I was very quiet. I really didn't have a lot of interest in making myself up, being pretty, wearing nice clothes. I would go to the barn and feed the horses and go directly to school after. It didn't matter to me. So I can recall at the age of eight, maybe it was 10. It was interesting. I, I, I would start to feel sad or frustrated. I would uh, go outside, actually grab scissors and go outside, lay on the lawn and, and cut the tops of the grass, which even when I was doing it, I was like, this is really, really weird. <laughs> but it makes me feel so good. <laughs> yeah. That's funny, the moment of clarity, right? <laughs> right. And I never really put that together with the cutting the newspaper right after my brother had died. So it was interesting to me years after I was able to kind of connect the hab you know, the habits that you end up acquiring after an incident that you are so unaware of. Yeah. That's you a know, good point. Even, that's a very good yeah, point. And how you treat horses and even how you treat other people. You know, how you how you respond to a certain question or a word or something that somebody approaches you with. It's it's interesting how you develop those habits and, and you become desensitized to what you're even doing, you know? So the first day my neighbor allowed my friend and I to be around his horses really changed my life forever. And there's been several times the horses themselves that have really been impactful, enriching in my life, changing my life in ways I could never ever imagine when I got into horses originally, you know, depression itself is very debilitating. I know everybody quote unquote knows about it, but I don't know if everybody's gone through it. And I can't say that I've even gone through it as bad as maybe some other people have gone through it, but I have experienced it. And it makes a person feel very alone. Even if you have a lot of good support groups around you, good loving parents, good siblings, all of that stuff, you still feel very alone. You know, and I had parents that were there and they loved me and they told me that often and, and they always told me how special I was and they always did their best to provide for me and that kind of thing. But it wasn't until I started with the horses and it, it you know, it was, it was the horses nickering for me and getting excited to see me. That's when that little alone feeling started to go away because they had yeah, I guess they had something to gain as far as getting fed or something, or that kind of a thing. But the times when they weren't hungry, you know, and they were just genuinely happy to see you, those were the times that really, really, really shone through my heart, you know? Start to turn the tide for you a little bit, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was, it was almost like a little flicker of light. Just a little flicker of light, you know? That's awesome. So, I would sit there for hours and hours and hours and watch them, see how they spend their time, how they talk to each other, their hierarchy, you know, everything that I could observe, I would observe. And it gave me the most surreal feeling I could ever 
imagine ever feeling in my life. I could see each horse had a very clear boundary, you know, when it was crossed. And they they would get after the other one, whatever it was, biting, kicking, chasing, just pinning their ears, whatever. But the surreal feeling came from knowing that the horses had such a clear boundary with each other. And it was, you do this or you get this. You do this or you, this is my boundary and I'm not steering from it. You know, and everyone was a little different as far as how dominant or how submissive they were. But for me watching this and knowing that I sit on their back and I ride them when I was watching it, it would go through my head like, I have not a lot of experience. And this is obviously when I was very, very, very young, just getting into it. I had very little to no experience. And I would sit there and think how how wonderful these 1,200 pound animals would forgive me for a mistake, you know, that they may not have forgiven another horse. And obviously I'm talking about domesticated horses. Yeah, I was going to say the Mustang might have a different interpretation, but... Not, not Mustangs, no. They they are definitely um, definitely a fight or flight, and, and the submissive one is the one that'll take down the herd. So they just get kind of kicked out of the herd. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> a little no bit kidding. different, a little different dynamic. But uh, but you know their their patience and their forgivingness was so important to me in starting to forgive myself. You know because. That's I was awesome. the one that That's huge right there. Yeah, I was the one that was trying to help him and I couldn't. And I and for so many years I couldn't forgive myself for that. I was gonna say just think you were the one trying to help yourself and couldn't. And the horse showed you the way. Right. Right. So the first time in years I started praying again and speaking to God as a friend. And this was just maybe a year or two after I started with the horses. It wasn't very long. As my journey continued, I became very fast and maybe a little obsessed <laughs> with the psychology and started paying attention to the psychology of the horse. And mind you, at this time, I was still depressed, but not nearly as bad. And I was still, you know, only as social as I had to be with people in order to get my quality time with the horses. Oh, you know, I completely understand where you're coming from there. Yeah, yeah. You know, still be, still still affected by depression, you know, people with depression isolate themselves. They don't want to be around people. They really don't want to hear the positive because they're so, they're dwelling in the negative, you know? So that's where I was at. I was, I was willing to be around the horses and the positivity of the horses, but I wasn't, I wasn't ready to really open up to a whole new positive social group yet. um, As far as with, human friends. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. But I was opening my mind to the new possibilities and and gain my refound faith, you know, through that. So interesting through through another, you know, little uh childhood adversity I had gone through, I was able to have the opportunity to actually change schools midway through or maybe uh it was about maybe a third or a fourth way through through the beginning of my eighth grade year. And when I started eighth grade in one school, I was um, still that same very secluded, very uh, dressed down, no makeup, not a lot of friends, 
we would rather eat alone or with a couple people than than big groups, that kind of thing. And when I changed schools, you know, that was three years after I had started with the horses and the horses had shown me so much grace and so much patience and so much, so much forgiveness and, and love and, and friendship that I decided, and this was big, I actually decided I was done with being a self-pity party. I guess you could say I was done being secluded. I was done being a shadow. I wanted to make a change. You know, the horses were so impactful for my mental health that I wanted to give that back in some way, even though I couldn't share horses with other people because I didn't know any yet. Yeah, what a mature decision for, for such a young girl. Yeah. So I quickly, quickly, within a couple months, became the least known person in one school to the most well-known person in another school. And what I would do, uh, and a big thing with that was I actually had um, one class where I had to go in to each classroom and take their attendance or whatnot. So a lot of people saw my face. But at lunchtime, I made a point. I made a point to be someone different. And I made a point to look for somebody sitting by themselves at lunch every day. I went to school and I would pick somebody. And as shy and as secluded as I was, I swallowed that. Just like a horse would swallow their boundaries a little bit and be patient with me. I overcame my own shyness and everything and would sit next to an individual eating lunch. And I remember most times I would just walk up and sit down right next to them and they'd give me this weird, like creepy look. What the heck are you doing, lady? (laughs) Who are you? And I would tell them very blunt, very upfront, hey, my name is so-and-so. I just saw you sitting here by yourself and I just wanted to have lunch with you and get to know you a little bit. Or, you know, you, you look like you could use some company or so, just something to let them know they're not alone. Yeah, somebody's thinking about them. They're not alone. Yeah, because, again, I mean, when you have depression, you just feel so alone. And sometimes it's the people that are around you all the time and love you the most. I hate to say it, but sometimes those are the people that can't do a whole lot to, to help you because they're... They're there so much and you know they're going to be there. There's there's not enough. I don't know if I'm even saying this right, but there's not enough. It's almost of, like the support's uh, diluted. A little bit. Yeah. It, it's not. It, it It's almost coming from a place where I know you love me. You're my mom. I, yeah, I know you, you love me. You're my sister. Yeah. And it, yeah, I wouldn't even go to the have to part, but. But a little bit, yeah. It's, it's they're there every day. They, I think it's they know you so well. I think that's what it is in my head. They just know you so well. Of course, they're going to be there for you. You know. So when, so when you have a complete stranger walk up, it's very impactful because they have no judgment. They have nothing to gain. They also, have, I mean, they've got nothing to lose either. But yeah. But I always found that was the most impactful. Like even if you, even today, if you. 
go to the grocery store and someone just simply says hi. Like, we don't even say hi to each other anymore. No, it's true. I've seen people say hi in the grocery store and people just look at them like they're nuts. <laughs> yeah, I try to make it a point and, and people's, people's faces almost look like they're offended that I said a word to them. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Oh, well. So, you know, so I recall a couple instances with the horses, the, the tools that they gave me and, and how they gave it to me. One was my first boyfriend that I had had. I think we were together for about a year. And we had broken up and I was a wreck because, you know, that accident for me, it, it created this mental, this mental stint of accepting when people leave your life for any reason, mm -hmm. one way or another, you know, fear yeah, of abandonment sense. or yeah, however you want to term it. So whenever I would have any change or someone would walk out of my life, it was very, very, very difficult. And I, and I was crying for probably a week. <laughs> and my mom asked me, she was at a loss. What, what can I do to help? I just want to see you happy. What can I do to help? And the only thing I could see clearly in my head was drop me off at the horses. And this, the second it came off my lips, it was like, you know, everything in your head was like, like a storm, like a hurricane, this huge storm in your head, and you can't even pull one clear thought out of it. It's a very chaotic feeling. And when I thought that, she dropped me off at the horses, everything settled. It was like there wasn't a single thought in my head except that. That was it. Yeah. And I asked her to, you know, just, just leave me there until I call. And that was wrapped in that peaceful mindset from the moment that I said it to even when I got home, when I, when I had finished writing and everything, I just had so much clarity in my head. I remember feeling nothing but the friendship and mutual respect that me and my horse had. And I literally felt nothing else. And it, it, you know, it, when I was upset, it was, it was a lot of, um, even my, my body, like a little bit of feverish and things like that I was going through and I felt wonderful, <laughs> maybe a little numb, a little too peaceful. I don't know, but, but I, I felt at peace, totally at peace. The crying stopped immediately. And as, as I rode down the street with my horse, all I could think about was, peaceful it was just me and my horse doesn't say how liberating yeah it really was and it opened my mind for the first time ever in my life i think it opened my mind so much to logical thought <laughs> you know taking the emotion out of it my horse really my horse kind of took away my pain i was gonna say it seems simple you know you talk about taking the emotion out of it but it's very difficult for us human beings to do, right? To to objectively look at things without getting emotionally charged. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and you know what happens when you think about it? <laughs> then you're in a snowball effect. Yeah, exactly. Now you're getting worked up because what you're getting worked up about. Right. It's kind of something that you do instead of something that you think about. But but I had never once shed another tear for that person after I got dropped off at the ranch. 
And I remember that so impactful as, I mean, it seems, yeah, like you said, it seems so simple. I'm just going out and riding my horse. Yeah. And, and, and she again showed me friendship and kindness and that I wasn't alone and that she would be, she would be there for me when I needed someone other than my family and my close friends to be there for me. You know, it, it started to um, give me some more self-confidence and some more self-esteem. Really did. The, and that horse I still have to this day, I have to say very proudly. <laughs> That's incredible. Nine-year-old Peruvian. I love her. I've had her for 18 years. That's awesome. Her. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Is she still around? Oh, gosh. It's such a blessing. The, the second instance I recall, I really honed in on my balance or my fairness or my boundaries, you know, however, however you want to put the term. And this isn't an isolated incident. It was kind of a, a few of the same incidents that's kind of put together. So early on, when I first got into horses when I was 11, my boundaries at one point, not proud to say, were too harsh. But thank God I received proper punishment to make me learn my lesson. It didn't last very long. And it, it really gave me a, a good slap in the face for reflection, you know, because again, this was my first year in divorces. I had had no experience and I hadn't watched enough. I hadn't watched enough of their communication. I hadn't done enough reflection on myself yet. So I did learn my lesson though, thank God. But instead I went way too far the other way and I was a little too light in my boundaries and that got me in trouble. You know, some, some of these horses, like you said earlier, they're, they're a little more dominant, especially the Mustangs. If you're, if you're too light in your age, you're the weak link in the herd. And a lot of horses are patient. Some horses are not so patient. And if you're the weak link, they want you out of their herd. Yeah, they're going to wash <laughs> out real quick. Right. So those were the horses that really taught me my, my boundaries and my fairness in my boundaries. And, um, you know, and more than that, I had lost my ability to feel angry, you know? So coming out of the depression and, and I don't know if everybody knows this, but in general, depression is actually anger turned inward. It's when you don't speak out loud and you don't talk to enough people and, and get it out of your system and, and reflect upon it. So at that time, I just never allowed myself to get angry. And when I had changed schools and, and this part was after I had watched a lot of the, the patients and stuff and the horses and the grace that they were giving me and, and changing schools and, you know, talking to people that were alone at lunch and stuff like that. It really got me into this place of don't ever be frustrated. Don't ever be angry. All you have to do is, is love and patience and kindness and wait and wait and wait and wait and wait. And, and that's not healthy. That's really not healthy for anybody. Cause that's yeah, you got to find a balance in all of it. Yeah. You end up being an enabler. You end up being a person that's walked on. You end up being a person that's looked down upon things like that. So it's not really a good thing. So earlier in my training career, I had about three situations, maybe more, but just 
three that I really do recall where I'm asking the horse to do something. Maybe you just flex the rib cage a little bit more in a circle or have better stops or be a little softer in the bridle. And they start resisting and bucking or rearing or, or something, something nasty that they had gotten away with prior. And I would stay patient and I would be consistent because that was the big thing that I've always learned in horse training is the consistency and the timing. Yeah, you got to be firm and fair. Mm-hmm. Consistency and timing. And and horses pick up that pattern, especially with your timing. It's very fascinating to me how they pick up those patterns. But, you know, it wasn't until it escalated to a point of danger where I could feel myself on the brink of either, oh, crap, I'm going to want to off in a second, or it's absolutely not happening. You have to listen to me. So understanding that I couldn't quit on the horse. I don't have that kind of heart. I believe that everybody can learn horse and human alike. Everybody can learn even if it's the smallest increment at a time. So instead of getting scared and and getting off, I would continue and continue and continue until the point of, like I said, it was either I'm scared or or it's you or me right now. (laughs) The line's been drawn in the sand. Right. So I, I remember three instances specifically where, where that line got drawn and I finally went, that's it. We're done and you're just going to do it. And I gave him a sharp, hard, maybe kick or one slap on the butt or something that I was trying to avoid because obviously I had learned very, very, very young in my first year of horse handling not to be too harsh because I had started that way. I never, ever, ever wanted to go back to that because that when I realized what I had done, I was mortified with myself. So that was not an option. Absolutely not an option in my book to get too strong. But like I said, it it did give me an opportunity to actually allow myself to be angry for the first time in a long time and give them once one sharp snack and then let it go and that was that was even more impactful learning how to open an emotion and let it go is something i think most people don't know how to do and it is something i am still working on absolutely um i still don't think i allow myself to be angry as much as i should (laughs) yeah (laughs) in life in general no it's a it's a great point you bring up uh-huh, uh-huh. Cause it, it, it really just, it just feeds in the, into the debilitating emotions, the depression, the sadness, the seclusion, all of that. So I've, I've always worked super, super hard at personal growth and the horses are, are just such an amazing reflection of how well I'm doing with that. Cause how well I do with myself is how well I can do with and for them. I can't, can't heal them if I can't heal myself. It's <laughs> listening to your story. I mean, we've been friends for a long while, and I've learned so much about you and you sharing your story and what a heck of a journey you've been on, and and it's incredible. And and now I'm understanding why you're seeing the success that you're seeing. You know, it, it's been a long road of reflection for you for a lot of years, and mm-hmm. and what's motivating is your constant pursuit of of improvement. Right, you're not settling for who you are today. No, you know, and trying to no, improve yourself just always... a little bit for tomorrow and a little bit for the next day. And 
and your dedication and persistence and, and consistency with the horses. I mean, it's now a lot more obvious why you have the success you have in working with horses. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it is, it's, it's, it's an amazing, amazing, amazing journey, you know, and I just, I, I'm always constantly thinking about how amazing these animals are and how much they've taught me patience, gratitude, refound faith, boundaries, expression of emotion, and, you know, even more important, my own self-esteem and confidence, taking me out of a state of depression. Like the list goes on for what these animals can, can do for each of us. As long as we're willing to listen, as long as we're willing to be open-minded and open-hearted and not blame everything on them. That's true. You got to be honest and you got to be willing to, to swallow your pride. Absolutely. If you're really looking to get something out of it, you know, and really looking to grow in this horsemanship deal. Absolutely. You know, my goal with each and every horse I meet is to find their, is to really find their mental weakness and help, help them heal through it, you know? And, and I, I know so many amazing trainers and I've also watched some that I was absolutely appalled by. You know, and, and the big thing that I've noticed is a lot of trainers get into it just to get the horse to do what they want them to do. And they, they lose the sense of you have, you have a student you're sitting on. You have a student with thoughts. They don't think like us. Absolutely. They, yeah. they absolutely don't. But I, I can't count how many conversations I've had with, you know, the everyday person that just has a horse in their backyard, somebody that boards horses, somebody that shows horses, somebody that trains horses, somebody that boards or, or breeds horses. I've heard them, you know, say, oh, this horse is just an asshole or this horse is just being a jerk. They're just re you know, resentful of this or that. I've heard so many excuses across the book and in my head. I, I, I have never been able to get past the thought of the naturalistic behavior of a horse is peaceful. It's peaceful. Yeah. They, they do not spend their energy fighting. They conserve it for their survival needs. So, you know, when I watch a horse bucking, especially con consecutively, or trying to run away and it's not it's not it getting any better lesson to lesson you have to wonder why is that horse expelling so much energy into something they should be trying to learn and like yeah you know That's first impression yeah first impression is everything if you sent your toddler off to preschool and the teacher was throwing the blocks at him when they couldn't put the, the, the round one in the round hole. If they put the round one in the square hole and the teacher got mad and threw it at your kid, you would pull that kid out from your teacher immediately. And I don't understand why all of these people are willing to accept my horse is just bad. You have to kick them hard. One of my great mentor, horsemanship mentors, always talks about, right, if you expect more, you better give more. Yeah. And I think people absolutely. often lose sight of that. They they see Thank a little you. success and they want a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And I, 
I equate it to oh. athletics a lot of time. You know, if we're we're expecting you to run 100-yard dash in X amount of time and you achieve that goal, I mean, it's kind of nice to take a break and kind of bask in your glory a little bit. Mm-hmm. Not be boastful, right? But, but, but take pride in your achievement. Whereas mm-hmm. oftentimes a human being will, you know, say, hey, line up on that line again and run it again and run it again and run it again until the point where, I mean, we turn so many horses sour. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's the big thing I see. I get a lot of horses that come to me that um, that are dull in the eye. I had one years ago that was big, big, big into showing. And he had a very dull look in his eye. And the owner was very proud of how well he stood because it was good halter stance. You know, I turn him out in the arena and he just stands like a statue. Yeah, he stands from a broken spirit. Uh, yeah, exactly. And oh. I and I broke down and I would cry. And I, and I, you know, his lessons, all I did, I played with him. Played with him. Yeah, show him life big, again. Yeah, I got a big ball and I kicked it around the arena and I chased him around and I had him chase me around. And as silly as it sounds... It worked. He snapped out of it. He came. He became alive again. Mm-hmm. He wasn't this. Oh, I just have to look pretty for this ribbon for you. <laughs> yeah, and that's a difficult part. And this is just my opinion, right? Right, wrong, or indifferent. Mm-hmm. A lot of these show disciplines or show classes. It's just so. A lot of it is so foreign to the animal. You right. know, whether it's the gait or the confirmation or the breeding, right. it's just not. It's further from natural than it is. You know. Absolutely. And, you know, being on this show, I don't want to offend anybody that's into showing. (laughs) Because like I said earlier, there are a lot of great things to it. But yeah, there's, there's a lot of people that just take it too far. And that's my thing is that there's not it's not, it's not because you're in any one class or discipline that you're a horrible Mm -hmm. horseman and you're mean to the horses. Mm -hmm. But, but there's people that lose sight of what what a horse is and what a horse is supposed to be, I think. Right, right. And I know, I mean, for me, I just want a, a good, willing, happy partner. I don't want an employee. You know, if they work for me, I'll work for them. And usually vice versa. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's as simple as that, you know. Each horse that that I'm personally able to, to rehab mentally, each horse I get through, it just adds to my purpose in life that I feel that, you know, God has uh, put me into. That's awesome. And I teach all of my human students the same thing. Every time I give a lesson, I'm always coaching and, and quizzing because <laughs> it's powerful when you, when you ask somebody to answer a question, you can really see whether they know it or not. Yeah. You can tell them all you want, but, but how much you ask them will really tell you how much they've retained. You know, in, in every single one of my lessons, I always teach people how to feel for lameness, how to watch their horse's body language, how to know when they're starting to shy and how to ask them to settle down and, you know, and, and be more focused without being forceful and, and demanding, you know, to really, to know your horse and work with them really, you know, to know, know your horse, like, like your daughter or your brother or your mother yeah. and, and be their support group, not it's be a team. their it's a team, yeah. you know, people lose sight of that. Yeah, you know, the, the the boundaries that they gave me, the respect level that they gave me, it really helped me learn how to love myself again after that accident and learn how to love each of my 
students the appropriate way for what they need because you know I'm psychology major so big thing in psychology is everybody has a different meaning to each word you know if you walk around and you see couples that are having trouble uh, let's say in their marriage or whatnot and you really look at their values and the way they communicate and that kind of thing. It's, it's very easy to say that a lot of times it's a lack of communication. You know, maybe you get together, you get through the honeymoon phase, you love each other, you're with each other, and then time kind of settles everything. And one person might feel loved by having their partner just simply sit next to them and watching TV while another person might feel love by actually having them embraced, watching a movie or cooking dinner together or things like that. So, you know, learning what each meaning is, is very important. And in this, this stallion that I was talking about earlier that I'm working with right now, I, I'm just, I... I absolutely love working with him. And I'll say there are days that I do not. That's funny. <laughs> we, have had, we have had a few moments, but it has never, it has never been him against I. Yeah. It's never, it's never, not one day has it ever been him feeling the need to go after me. Not one time, but I can, I can see times when, well, well, I guess I guess I could explain this better in an example. You know, everybody's got their uh, their their different opinion on on the meaning of words, which plays into horses on the meaning of cues. You know, mm-hmm. how much pressure is too much pressure? How fast you apply it? How do they associate one thing with another? I this horse it has challenged me, even. Um, even knowing as much as I do, and I am not an expert by any means, I am still learning. But, uh, but I do feel very confident in my knowledge of how to communicate with him. And he still challenges me as far as really having to focus on when they pick up their patterns and their habits. You know, we talk about the three second rule. Uh, you have to be within those three seconds in order for them to retain the, the lesson that you're trying to achieve, whether it's reward or consequence or transition, whatever it might be. But I think a lot of people also lose sight of when they actually connect the dots, because that can be very different. And and this this one particular instance, it just jumps out in my brain because a lot of people would react differently. And, and here's what happened. So I'm working with him on picking up his feet. And of course, you know, horses, when you take one leg away, they feel very vulnerable, very kind of threatened because they can't run away as fast if a predator comes up and they're on three legs. So they have to trust you. Uh, So I've been working with him for maybe about a month, uh, maybe a month and a half, picking up his feet every day. And there was one day in particular that I, he was doing very well. And I had picked up a, I think his front, oh, it was his front left foot. 
and he jerked his leg away really hard and then tried to kick me. I don't remember if it was the front leg or the back leg that tried to kick me, but I remember he tried to kick me. <laughs> and when he tried to kick me, I gave him a good one good slap on the stomach or the rump or whatever it was that I could kind of reach. And his reaction kind of surprised me. He he freaked out over it and he jumped back and he jumped away from me and he didn't want me anywhere near him for a little while. And I was trying in my head, I was trying to figure out why, why did he overreact like that? He, he, he was being very assertive with ripping his leg away. It was only one little smack. It wasn't hard. My hand didn't sting or anything like that. So I couldn't put together why he was being so dramatic. So then when I tried to pick up his leg again, he picked up his leg. And then when I put it down, he jumped away as though I smacked him. And then when I picked it up again, he did it again. And I picked it up again and he did it again. So every time I picked it up and he jumped away, I started realizing that your, your cues that you use are not always appropriate depending on the uh, situation that you're in. You know, he didn't associate me smacking him with him kicking his foot at me. He associated me smacking him with me letting his foot go. Yeah. And it's funny, I think with communication, this is just a lesson I learned recently, is that to peel back the layers of communication and being a source of, of a lot of issues sometimes or challenges is that there's intended communication, right? Which is our cue or our discipline of an animal, but there's the perceived right. communication. And oftentimes if our intentions don't line up with the perceptions or, you know, the horse receiving that, that message, that's where a breakdown of communication can take place. Cause I mean, let's say in this example, the horse is dropping his leg or pulling his leg away because a ranch dog is running up on him, right? And he thinks he's going to get eaten by a wolf. Mm-hmm. You know, he he's pulling the leg away for a viable reason, yet he's getting disciplined for it. Um, right. So the intended, right. although you were intending to send the right message at the right time, he's not perceiving that message with what your intention is. And exactly. therefore, you know, the breakdown of communication takes place. Yep. You nailed it on the head. And that's, and that's I think... The number one thing that bothers me with the trainers that I watch that that in my personal opinion are are not as savvy with their communication is the horse does a mistake. And then instead of having grace and patience and and letting them know and showing them what to do right, they punish them. And you're bad because you didn't do it right instead of oh, you forgot, let me show you. It's yeah, this is correct. More military school. I shouldn't even say that. I haven't been in military yeah. school, so maybe they're not as bad, but... <laughs> I hear you. Yeah, yeah. the communication is huge. Like I said before, one heck of a story you got and an incredible journey and a, a very long road traveled, but awesome. I'm very fortunate for your relationship and, and being able to train under you for a bit. And it'd be nice to get back with you and ride a little bit again and and kind of touch base it, and rekindle because I've grown a little bit since we left. And yeah, it's just fun to talk horses. Thank you so much for giving your time for, for listening to me. And uh, oh, it's incredible. It's incredible. I learned a lot. Oh, thank you. And, and, you know, putting this podcast together and all of this, I, I, I mean, we've known each other for a long time, as you've said, and, and I've watched you grow kind of from, from infancy in your own horsemanship and, I got to give you kudos because 
I see amazing things that you're doing for these animals, amazing things that you're giving back to the community. And it, it just, it just warms my heart and so blessed to know you and your family and be part of your journey and be part of this podcast and helping other people. It's just the best feeling in the world. Well, I appreciate the compliment. I'm very grateful for everybody that's been involved in this podcast. And a lot of my guests have played significant roles in my journey and, and, and I've been able to benefit from it, and I'm trying to get other folks to to do the same, you know, because it's it's been a long road for me. Uh, mm-hmm. It's been a frustrating road at times, but I am blessed for every single challenge that comes across the table because, and I tell people this all the time, that if I would have started with more of a turnkey horse, who knows where I'd be, right? I wouldn't have chased yeah. the path or, or been on the path or traveled the path that I'm on today, so... Absolutely. It's all a blessing. It's all a purpose. It's all part of his plan. And and I just work as hard as I can every day at it and and, and trying to fulfill his needs. Very good. Good, good, good. So before we go, let's do this. I I like to give every guest the opportunity to kind of sell themselves, you know, tell folks where they can find you on social media and websites and emails if you you wish, because I know you do have quite a few clinics that you put out in a year. And and if folks want to follow you and your methods, um, where can they find you? Uh, so my business name is Coco County Harmony Horse Training. I am on Facebook. I don't have a website at this time, but I do have um, a very active uh, business Facebook um, page, uh, which you can follow at if you if you look up Coco County Harmony Horse Training. You can follow that. I do try and put out uh, around three or four clinics a year. I just wrapped up. Uh, my last one earlier this month for for this year, I don't have any more on the books, but I do try and post on my social media, on the Facebook, along with some Facebook groups and some flyers out in the local community for when I have uh, upcoming clinics. And I try and do a variation. So I, I have done every discipline but I really uh, focus on, like we've been saying, the communication with the horse and uh, and both kind of disciplines. A lot of equitation, a lot of balanced riding, how to stay on if your horse does uh, decide to turn and bolt or, or whatnot. Done a lot of desensitizing clinics. I just The one I just finished was a, a trail clinic out at a regional trail. Uh, and I did another one prior that was a sequel for horsemanship and, and getting them ready for the trail in the arena with some obstacles and things like that. Yeah. So like I said, you can find me on Facebook and you're more than welcome to give me a call or uh, even send me a message if you've got a question or got a horse that you're not quite sure about and you want even just an evaluation just to see maybe they're acting out because uh, they have a little hiccup in their body if their leg hurts and they're trying to let you know, I, I can't really canter in a circle because I'm hurting, um, things like that. Or if they've got some mental health issues that they need, you're more than welcome to give me a call. That's actually how, how my student ended up with this new project horse that she's leasing was the, the lady, bless her heart, had come and talked to me about the horse and kind of what to do because he had some mental trauma caused by a prior trainer um, at some point, and he's being really aggressive on the ground. 
And that's how that whole um, connection even got started was she, she went ahead and just approached me about it. And I was able to, to get that going and, and, and help her and help the horse at the same time. Awesome stuff, Melissa. Any parting words for, for the guests out here uh, for that freedom reign? Any huge takeaways? I know we covered a lot, um, but anything to recap? We did. You know, I would just say have grace and understanding. Be open-minded. You know, when, you're, when your animals are, are acting out, they're not just acting out because uh, they're feeling frisky or, and, I, and this is in general, I have to say, because um, my eyes aren't on them. But, but most of the time, they're not, they're not going to act out because they're just feeling frisky or they're just a bad horse. They're trying to talk to you. So if you, if you don't understand what your horse is trying to communicate to you, why they're doing it, you're having a lot of trouble, seek help. Don't feel alone. Everybody is in that boat. We're all a big support group in the horse industry. But I would ask an expert. Don't ask just anybody at the barn because most people at the barns will give you their best advice possible, but they have very limited knowledge by very limited experience with with small numbers of horses. That's a great point. Yeah, trainers have such a large experience with so many different personalities and so many different mental issues with horses, different things that had happened to them that created this problem in the first place. They have so many different tools they can teach you, show you, help you with versus just, just, you know, the barn, barn border, bless their hearts. They're going to be there for you and want to help you as much as they can, but they might only have one tool and that tool may not be the right tool for your horse. So be patient, have grace, and really look for the guidance when you're stuck. Don't wait and just try and fix it yourself. If it's not working in a couple sessions, it's it's probably not working. It's either going to get better or get worse rather quickly. So be patient, have grace, get help. Melissa, I thank you very, very much again for taking time out of your busy schedule for everybody here at Let Freedom Reign. And we're looking forward to talking to you down the road. You're very welcome. It's my pleasure of being on the show. Thank you so much. Have a good one. You too. Thank you. Bye. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to this episode of Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Again, you can find us on social media under Let Freedom Reign Podcast. If you want to support the growth of this podcast, go to patreon.com forward slash Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Again, we thank you, and we'll see you on the next one. Thank you.